It's a good day today, everyone. So I'm here with uh, an amazing talent, a writer, a leader, a manager, leader of manages one of the biggest banks in the world. Even if he considers himself as a village boy, he's decent and kind, a humanitarian and a philanthropist with a pure heart, a traveler, and a published author of a book entitled Trauma Redefined. My friend, Pervez Tarapowala. Pervez, how are you, sir? Hey, Cyrus, thank you ever so much for this uh, a lovely introduction. I don't think I deserve it. And once again, thank you uh, for, for giving me the opportunity of talking to you as such a senior professional. And it gives me great honor to give you this interview that you've asked for. So first of all, tell me, uh, how should I address you as uh, Mr. Valencini, or would you like me to address you as Cyrus? You could address me as Cyrus, sir, and it, the pleasure is mine. Okay, yeah. my friend, showtime all yours. <laughs> well, tell me, tell me about the act of giving because I've I've seen and uh, I've seen like a lot of activities that you did, philanthropic, uh, philanthropic activities that you're doing. How it all started, and how is it going for you? Well, Cyrus, that's a very, very good question. Uh, basically, this triggered. This was triggered, ironically, from from your own country, uh, Cyrus. When I first came to the Philippines, and uh, that that's when I realized that uh, there is a very high level of poverty over here in this country, and. Unfortunately, the government doesn't seem to be doing much about it. And uh, that's what compelled me to see what I could personally do in return for this community. There, there, there is a strata over here, Cyrus, that is currently uh, stuck between the gap that is just below the middle class and just above the poverty level. Now, now this class is basically the one uh, that will neither ask nor beg, but if given, they will not refuse. So I try my levels best. And besides, there is this, uh, there is this joy of giving, Cyrus, that that really satisfies my heart. There is, I, I do understand that when you when you live for others, Cyrus, your own life does become a bit difficult, but at the end of the day, it becomes richer and more happier so that's that's where it all started and i'm glad that today somewhere in the world i am making a difference even though it's microscopic and my book also whatever whatever i make from the book whatever it is small as they may be it all goes towards my charities old people's home orphanage and feeding the that is an amazing act of giving sir and uh really it is it is something that's very impactful and uh it inspires a lot of people you know um young i mean you've inspired me i've seen your videos you know giving giving food to to people even filipinos in dubai and uh giving giving you know giving hope to orphanage here in the Philippines, you know, because uh, I've seen that you've, I've seen you gave like 
grocery and and money to nuns in a, in, or, in an orphanage here in Cebu and also you've you've you know you've prepared some meals for you know the people in Mindanao and in Luzon as well it is really 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 something that is worth living because of your generosity i mean that really is that that's something that uh, isn't uh, for me personally is an uh, uh, an awakening moment for me as a as a person um, giving you know giving a, a small portion of myself to other people. Uh, you see now, Cyrus, basically these videos that you've seen. Uh, don't uh, misunderstand me. The video is not basically there to blow my own trumpet. I I deliberately make these videos to create an awareness in the market for people to join me. I also have my limitations. Now you see, for for let me give you an example. Supposing I can feed 30 people in one time, X amount of money is required. Now all I need is just one more person to join me, and that figure goes into 60. One more person to join me, figure goes to 90. So if three people join me, I can drive it from 30 to 90. So that is basically the general idea, and the power of duplication and multiplication is just awesome and so there are times when people do join me from Pakistan from the United States from Canada and when these people join me I multiply it and when I multiply it it goes double triple so on and so forth so the, the standard idea uh, behind having these videos projected is to create awareness and for people to come and join me in my crusade to fight hunger hunger today according to me is the greatest pandemic on the planet since time began. The human race is, is going after this, this uh, coronavirus and this spine flu and the cow flu and the goat flu and this flu and that flu. But at the end of the day, hunger is a pandemic mankind has been trying to fight since time immemorial. I agree with you, sir. I mean, what you're doing as well is that not only it's you're, you're fighting a pandemic of hunger um you may consider yourself uh, this is a personal mission but i would i would you know i would see it as a as a movement that you're doing because you have the community involved you know he, back in dubai and here in the philippines i mean you've established some orphanage and uh, helped a lot of people and helped the young ones. You see, Cyrus, uh, today according to very general statistics, 25,000 men, women and children are dying per day out of hunger. If yeah. that is not a pandemic, what is a pandemic? You yeah. tell me. And five-star hotels all over the world throw away good food equivalent to almost ten to twelve thousand dollars a day oh which is absolutely criminal according to me it is indeed so true. here i am trying to find a solution to curb the greatest pandemic on the planet which is hunger now you will not be able to see this on fox news you will not see this on cnn because it is not a major sporting event a small little child dying in Africa makes no difference to CNN and Fox News. Why would they project it? 
right uh, i mean it, it is you know um they could make uh, and but but then again ironically if joe biden sneezes they'll have it for headlines but a farmer dying of hunger farmer committing suicide because he cannot feed his children that is not news that is just a five fifth page corner line tragedy no issues at all so what the guy died big deal right that that's how the society looks at this but they don't seem to realize the clear and present danger that lies behind the pandemic of hunger right and i i i absolutely like your concept of feeding one person at a time and what blew my mind was you fed more than 26,000 individuals at one time in dubai i mean you gave hope to, at you know and you know you've really made a difference <laughs> you know so but that 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 was a very joint effort Cyrus that was only for the period of Ramadan where the the muslim community fasts so for that we organized as a group and uh, we finally managed to uh, to accumulate enough funds to feed 26000 plus fasting members of the muslim community that's awesome sir now going back to your book trauma redefined i feel the book is a metaphor of this big big jigsaw puzzle being put together let the people and let you and the people around you live a more purposeful life you know from the brutal tragic accident to to the fun memories of your grandparents to to your to your relationship with god you know the love and the comfort and the support of your of your wife Ma- Mazarin and your children Nasha Ardavan friends and family you know their love and support and to the wisdom and the self selflessness of Dr Ali's medical breakthrough i mean i've covered a lot of things but you know your very, your long journey to recovery It is really a big puzzle to 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 living a purposeful life all pieced together in this excellent read of life. You know, how is it going for you right now? Well, Cyrus, to be very honest with you, the incident as tragic as it may seem, it's now almost 13 years ago, 14 years ago for that matter. And yes, uh, you are very right. It was the love of friends and family, especially family, their support that has brought me where i am today and i sit before you and narrate my tale and the support not been there from my friends and from my family i don't think i would have survived this ordeal and of course the lord's grace has always been there and and, and there was a purpose i now feel behind all this to keep me alive and uh, that that i believe is what is very very slowly now coming true i was not designed to die in that particular fashion and uh, it also uh, this incident also slowed me down sirs when when uh, before this before my the accident took place before the story i uh, basically used to live in the fast lanes sirs you would not really want to be friends with me I wanted everything and I wanted everything day before yesterday. 
I had no patience. I had, I had no, no stability. I didn't really know where I was going, and uh, I finally now realized that there is a lot more to life than just asking for this and asking for that. And you know, earlier whenever I used to address my God, I would tell him that I I need a I need a 48-hour day and a 24-hour night because I'm not able to do everything I want to do, and I'm not able to achieve what I need in these total 24 hours. So I believe. You know this uh, <clears throat> this incident, Cyrus, was the Lord's way of telling me that listen, son, you need to change. I'm not going to change the ways of the world just because of you. Wow, what a turning point! I mean, um, but but uh, it's all worth it. I mean, it's all worth it right now. Your relationship with your family, you know, your um, your act of generosity, it's all worth it. Um, and your relationship with God as well. It is. It is uh, no doubt about it. I've, I've got a very, very close relationship with the Creator now, and uh, once again, I'm also very, very close to my family. My family, my children, and my wife, I believe, are the best thing that has ever happened to me in my entire existence. Had they not been there, had that support not been there. I may not have been able to make it up till here, and we would not be having this conversation. So I, uh, I tremendously, and from the bottom of my heart, thank them for being my family and being who they are. Right, right, sir. I mean, um, essentially, our family is the one that uh, would give us, you know, strength and support. And uh, with yours, really, they're around the clock, you know, during that time. And I can only imagine the stress and the trauma they felt as well, um, especially your wife. You know, um, she's really, you know, the rock of the family during that time. And she, she's, she, her, her light and, uh, you know, her, her, her um, support. You know, it, it really gave comfort to to people around your family uh, as well. You see, Cyrus, it, uh, the support that I received from Mazi and basically had that not been there, my children would not have been able to survive this this backlash, this storm, basically that was that I was going through. But they were going through a a mental trauma. I was going through mental as well as a physical, physical. and I will never ever forgive myself for this. It is because of me and my situation that my beloved Mazi today has diabetes, and this diabetes is basically stress-related, and there's absolutely nothing I can do about it for the time being, except for take her to the doctors. But uh, that's the way it is, and I believe she will finally get out of it. But unfortunately, I was responsible. For her current condition, or rather, I am responsible for the current state of affairs. But uh, as what they say, you know, um, in in every curse, there's a, a blessing. Um, I I would feel that uh, despite of the physical um, challenges that she's having right now, um, what's very much more important is that uh, the quality of the time that you guys spent after the accident. I mean, 
you know you, you've spent a lot more time together you've changed as a person and um you know your relationship with your children you know is much more stronger right now nasha and ardavan as you that is very true sirs that is very true actually it took a it took a situation that powerful to finally change my mindset and bring me back to earth and uh, that i believe the lord did not have a choice he had to put me through this to bring me on the right path once again so that i can spend more time with my greatest investment to my two children and of course my wife mazi which i currently do and i'm i'm very very glad that whatever happened happened yes yes and uh, about the the uh, dr ali's i think he really played an important role um during that moment of your uh yes zaris uh, you're right as you must have read in my book i call him my angel of mercy dr mohammed bakr ali he was an intensivist and he he just he, he was god sent into the situation basically and it was purely because of his uh, insatiable and indefatigable efforts uh, during my stay at the trauma center of rashid hospital that i managed to survive this yeah well we we have to give credit to kasimi hospital but you know the passion of dr ali's there you know um he was able to work things out on giving you the best you know um health care that is that is that is really very true kasimi hospital was also very very nice they had they gave me every possible facility that was but then again at the end of the day they had their limitations and they did tell us in advance that there is a point in time beyond which they will not be able to go and that's when we approached the rashid hospital and that's exactly where it came dr mohammad bakr ali how is it going for you with uh, dr ali have you seen him lately oh i uh, we are very good <laughs> friends now we are on whatsapp together and he always sends me nice videos documentaries jokes uh, we 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 always been connected since day 1 So that's it. and not for any medical reason but just as very good friends I've even been to his house a lovely family he's got and it's it's a very nice relationship that I have with him whenever I need even a little bit of advice I always call him and say hey doc how do I do this and he always comes back with a brilliant answer he's really more than a doctor he knows how to deal with people absolutely absolutely he's a, he, he he's a human being worthy of french let's put it that way. he's just not a medical professional he's also a wonderful human being absolutely and uh tell me a little bit more about your your experiences uh back in the days uh, as a village boy <laughs> <laughs> oh boy uh, 15 the, almost the first 15 years of my life sirs i spent in remote villages and uh <clears throat> My best friends at that point in time were not humans but they were animals ironically speaking and I still have a very 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 uh, close fondness and great love for my four-legged and two-legged friends and I really enjoy their company when I was a little boy I've spent time uh, playing with a pack of wild wolves 
That's a, a, an interesting point of view. I mean, um, really, the, the norms or uh, I guess what's, what's being showed or how we're being taught is that, uh, you know, animals don't, uh, they have to be um, confined on zoos and, uh, you know, we, we like m- more like snakes. <laughs> snakes if you see a snake you, you get to be threatened and <laughs> yes now you see I'm, I've, I've always been against confinement of animals they also have an equal right to freedom just as you are it, it is it is man who went into the forest to destroy his habitat it is man who kills a wolf just because his girlfriend needs a fur coat that's very sad you kill the elephant just because you want to make something in ivory <laughs> which is not sad it is actually very tragic and very very unjust to the animal kingdom all said and done the wolves still are animals you cannot tame they do not dance to human music tigers and lions yes they're more powerful than the wolves but then at the end of the day the wolves don't dance in a circus. So animals need equal respect, Zyrus, is what I feel. And believe me, they would turn out to be far more loving than your human friends at some point in time. You are one very interesting person, sir. I mean, you have a lot of causes, you know. You have these... Uh, um, uh, humanitarian giving food uh, feeding the, the the hungry and you have uh, you care for animals I mean um, there's a lot of you know a lot of very good um, you're, you're forthright I mean you, you you consider the the welfare of everyone that's living in the planet um, what's in store for you I mean uh, are, are you what's what have you planned? For these causes and uh, in, in the upcoming, you know, um, the, the upcoming months or years. Cyrus, I'm basically looking for people to join me, like-minded people to come to me, talk to me, and join my crusade to fight this pandemic. Help the animals, help the humans, because as I see, the governments are not doing anything about it. 
somebody has to wake up. We just can't say, okay, never mind. Watch it over on CNN and forget about it. Somebody has to be practical. Somebody has to come out of the house. Somebody has to raise this voice. And I'm trying my best to do whatever I can so that like-minded people would come to me, contact me, join me, be a part of my group and make a difference in even one life, even one life. According to uh, the Muslim faith, it is said in the Quran that if you can make one person happy, it is equivalent of making humanity happy. So said uh, Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, the Prophet of the Muslim community. And I, I strongly believe that's a very, very vital point. It is indeed a vital point. And, and even, uh, my apologies to cut you off, and even amongst us Zoroastrians, as you have chapter one of the Bible, Genesis, our, our book begins with the statement that says, happiness is to him who gives happiness unto others. And here is the bottom line. Here is where it begins, here is where it, here is where it ends. Yeah, we we I, I we do believe in that uh, golden um, ro- um, um, what we call uh, our 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 saying that uh, happiness begins um, when you you know you, you do unto others. I guess what how, how, what I'm saying is um, you do unto others what the. Uh, you want others do unto you. You see, now the thing is, you know, I I do not give out happiness with the intention that someday I'm going to get happiness from this person, or I'm going to get this from this person. Even if I do not get anything in return from that person, as long as I've made him happy, that is my satisfaction. I do not expect anything back from him, whatever it may be. Wow. That, that's a different uh, point well, whenever, whenever people, sometimes people do come to me, Cyrus, and they ask me that, look, you've done such a lot for us. What can I do for you? He says. So I always tell them that look around you, my friend, look around you, find a person who is in your situation and go out and help it. I would consider that as my payback. And when you go out and help him, tell him the same thing. Don't expect anything from him. Tell him to go, look around, look around his society, look around his surroundings, find someone who needs help, give it to him. So here is where the power of multiplication and duplication lies. Amazing. And I, I wanna I wanna get back to the book that you published. So t- tell us a little bit about uh, the history of the publication of this book. I mean, how long did it take you from writing the first word of your story to the publication? And what were the emotions that you were feeling back then? Seriously, <laughs> this is a very interesting question, actually. The, the, my, my book I had already finished by about 2009, 2010. I had nothing more to say in the book. But uh, surprisingly and unfortunately, I could not have the right publisher. I was interviewed by Dubai Television Channel 33, the English channel, and uh, they basically invited me to a talk show whereby they said that uh, it's a new show and it's called Real Talk. 
So they contacted me to ask me if I would like to come and be one of their guest speakers, which I agreed to. But then at the end of the day, finally, before the show was to be aired, uh, this woman comes up to me and says, Sir, we have a problem. The Dubai government feels that your story is extremely graphic for home audiences and thus they would not be able to project my interview the way I have said it unless I give them censorship rights, which I was not willing to give them at all. So I told them, no deal, this is a true story. Either you project me the way I have spoken or you uh, scrap the entire ordeal. I do not wish to be part of your show. I do not wish to be a TV star. My ordeal has to go on air the way it was. So that basically was a small little incident that compelled me to write my story. I realized that if I write it down, nobody will be able to touch it, nobody will be able to censor it and will go into the market exactly the way it is. And then it took me almost a couple of years to get permission, legal permission from the doctors, nurses, hospitals to use their right names. Not a single name or location has been camouflaged in my story. They are all absolutely real. Dr. Jack Borders is a real name. Dr. Francis Stafford is a real name. Dr. Mohammed Bakr Ali is a real name. The Kazmi Hospital is a real hospital in the Emirate of Sharjah. <coughs> Excuse me. And the Rashid Hospital is a real live hospital in the Emirate of Dubai. Absolute state-of-the-art medical facilities are available in that institution where I was admitted. So then uh, I started looking for local publishers. I found a few, but unfortunately, either they were very, very expensive and the publishing consultants were very, very arrogant and very rude. And uh, then one fine day, my daughter played a very, very instrumental role in finding this publisher for me, Patrish Publications, back in the Philippines, in fact, in your country. And uh, they were the ones whom my daughter Nasha said that she has a gut feeling that these guys will do it. So I gave them a call and uh, they called me back a little while later asking me to send them a gist of my story, which I did. And my publishing consultant became uh, a Jade Bailey, a very, very magnanimous professional who very much impressed me. But from the first conversation that I had over the phone with her, something inside me told me that, that yes, this organization will definitely sort me out exactly the way I wanted to. And it happened. Uh, and today, she's no longer my publishing consultant. I call her my little sister, J, And we have a lovely relationship. Wonderful. So that is basically the story of my publication. And because my book was published in the Philippines, I uh, make it a point to give back whatever Philippines has given me. They put me on the world map. So let me do whatever little I can do for the Filipino community today. It's uh, an amazing story. That's a long journey of publication. It is a very long journey, Cyrus. But it was worthy of the weight that was involved. It is. It is. Patience really indeed is a virtue. 
true. <laughs> so um, tell me a little. T- tell me about uh, your uh, your um, orphanages that you've supported here in the Philippines. I've heard that uh, you have your brother Adil's sanctuary. Uh, yes, Cyrus. There is this place called uh, Pangasinan, and over there, I was friends with a, a very dear pastor over there who runs the church called the Eagle's Bride. Pastor Jun Kimada, oh, a couple of years ago, who passed away due to an illness, which was very, very tragic. And uh, now, by the grace of God, his uh, daughter and son-in-law run this program for me. I, I turned this uh, <coughs> little sanctuary into a educational platform, sort of, you know, for underprivileged children whose parents cannot afford proper schooling and it's in the loving memory of my late brother Adil who also died of cancer and after almost a two and a half year a very very long battle with the dreaded ailment and uh, so uh, Sheila and uh, Gabriel they run this show for me and uh, we now have almost about 55 children coming over there wow we uh, teach them bible studies we teach them arts and crafts we teach them music we give them a little bit of introduction to outdoor sports indoor sports pastor Joe kimada was very very kind to give me his entire courtyard it's his donation i use that courtyard to accommodate all these children and his wife mrs Kumada, she makes food for all these children on a weekly basis and they all come there and enjoy their day it's like a fun play evening and morning which also includes food and the senior in charge is my uh, the pastor's daughter that's amazing it's a a small little setup that I'm trying to run and uh, once again if other people join me I can increase this setup and I can spend more money and uh, allow more children to come in and be a part of this exercise and learn whatever they can from this uh, small little platform that I've created. And besides of this, in uh, San Jose, there is a small little uh, orphanage and an old people's home, which I support as well from the proceeds of my book. Whether or not there are any proceeds or not, I make sure that these two institutions are well supported and well taken care of amazing amazing that's very very kind of you sir i mean it you really is a person with a big heart (laughs) um helping those kids you know um giving them hope and i also realize that uh, you're also supporting the elderly as well yes uh cyrus the the orphanage in uh, san jose has also it's bifurcated it's in two parts there is the orphanage on one side and there is the old people senior citizens home on one side so there are about 20 to 25 senior citizens over there and uh two little girls in the orphanage earlier there were plenty more about 20 or so but uh by the lord's grace they've all now been adopted by loving parents and they do have fine homes to stay and uh, I make sure that the senior citizens are comfortable. I provide whatever they need on a monthly basis. 
and for that also I would require people to join me so that I can multiply my contributions towards this cause. Amazing. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm also really curious. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry to be jumping um, to from one topic to another, but I want to go back to the book. I'm just curious, really curious, Pervez, seeing like how good of a storyteller you are. I mean, recalling, you know, the brutal passage of time, which you redefined, especially the reception of different readers with the positive reviews. You know, I was wondering, like, as to why you mentioned your son, Ardavan, as your, your editor, as the one who taught you how to write. And I'm wondering, like, what were your reflections and your relationship with him in the editing process? You see, Cyrus, though, that's a very intelligent question you've come up with. <laughs> and... Uh... To be very honest with you, calling me an author would be a mistake, Cyrus. I'm not an author. Authors are those who write fiction because they need to create a plot. They need to think of a story. They need to keep the plot together. They need to keep the their reading audience transfixed, basically, and interested. Whereas this, as you know, is a true story. I had nothing to think about. The story was already in my mind. All I had to do is uh, give it the English language. So when I finally uh, finished writing what I had written, I realized that I am actually having a conversation with my audience. I'm not making them read, but I'm making them listen. And Ardavan, my son, who's, uh, to be very honest with you, more English than the goddamn English themselves. So I used to send him uh, chapter by chapter. And when that chapter would get edited and come back to me, I realized that I am just a storyteller. I am not a writer. It may be my story, but the book belongs to my son. He wrote the book. I told the story. Let's put it that way. I mean, Ardavan really played a very, very important role, crucial role yes, in the. Yes, Ardavan. In fact, Ardavan and Nasha both played a very, very crucial role towards bringing this story into this world. Nasha found the publisher, and Ardavan gave the right words to my narrative, or rather, to my story. I may be a very good storyteller, but I'm definitely no writer, no author whatsoever. Author has to be those. Author has to be the one who writes fiction and not a true story. True stories are already ready-made. So both my children play a very, very key role towards uh, bringing trauma redefined to the public. Amazing. And, uh, two of my very, very dear friends I would like to mention. Uh, one is Barina uh, Znauder, who wrote. The uh, uh, what what do you call that? There's a there's a specific word for it, Cyrus. I do. Forward. Well, the one that's mentioned on the back of the book. There, there's another word for it. It's not just a forward. I, I completely forgot. She had told me. Uh, she's a she's a journalist, and she wrote the back cover of my story. And uh, her brother Hanoz is a graphic designer, and he designed the cover of the book that you see, basically. The, these two people also played a very, very key role towards bringing the story into the market. I like the cover, by the way. 
it, it really reflected like what really happened and um, I guess what you you were referring to like the the book description at the back of the book that's right but there's a there's a specific word for it which is not currently coming into my mind that is what Varinas uh, have told me that when you write the back of the book this is what it's called but I, at the moment I, it's just out of my mind I'm not getting it I see So with uh, with the book, you know, uh, I'm I'm also curious. Like, who who read the the first the draft first, and what was their candid response? I mean, the entire book, not just the chapter, but just one chapter, but the entire book. What was the what is the, their candid response? Whether they've mentioned it to you personally by phone or by email, and what was their reading experience like? And first uh, people to get my story was my own family science. I gave it to my children, to my wife and to my mom. And they all came with a very critical appreciation and uh, <clears throat> they were all very impressed with the way I had uh, programmed the chapters by chapters. But of course, then again, that required refinements, which Ardhavan managed to finally do. And uh, Also, a few of my friends, very close friends, read the principal draft, and they also agreed with me that graphic, even though it may be, it is very well narrated. But then I had to take Ardhavan's help to uh, give it the linguistic excellence that it currently has. I, in my first uh, approach, in my first draft. <coughs> Excuse me. I was very crude. My original narrative is very, very crude. Ardhavan not only gave it, uh, not only gave it English language, but also gave it a little bit of refinement. So that brings the book a notch up. It is. It is really. It, it is like uh, basically something that uh, has like it, it follows like certain standards of writing i mean it's it's uh, it's not just con uh having a conversation with your audience but uh it gives like a, an easy read with all the the, the descriptions and uh, um and the, the the narrative and how the the the, the events uh, are being played in in the book that is correct that is correct you're absolutely right I, I love the way you analyze the situation. It is exactly the way you said it is. And, and basically, my objective, of, uh, you must have noticed, uh, you must have noticed the font that I have used, Cyrus, in this book is extraordinary. Now, th th there's a reason for this font, Cyrus. I, when I was where I was in hospital, This was the only font I could very, very barely read. Now, according to uh, medical science, when you go into when you go into a situation they call multiple organ failure, your kidney, your liver, and your lungs simultaneously pack up their bags and go on a vacation. Now, when that happens, and when your liver does not function, you automatically go into a visual disorder. So. That is why I particularly use this font, so that people who are currently in my condition anywhere in the world could also read 
and be inspired by my story and not lose hope and not fall into the trap of fear that is a very interesting topic sir fear i mean right now uh, a lot of people i mean almost i think almost everyone's fearful right now with the with what's happening with the world with the pandemic and uh, you know losing jobs um i i think you know your book is much more than a, 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 a true story narrative but it's more like a survival guide on how to deal with uh, tragic events with your life and dealing with your relationship with god with yourself you know it, it is really a, a survival guide what, what do you think cyrus uh, yes it is it is a survival guide if you're ready uh, read it with attention and uh, fear as i always keep telling not only my friends but also i keep on telling my family the fear itself is an ailment it's a sickness it basically un- engulfs your mind and does not allow you to think clearly at all so if you remove fear from your mind you will live longer you will get better hope and you will be guided towards that best light fear is a killer ailment it is a self destructive sickness and uh, speaking of self destructive illness aside from fear uh the one line that really struck me the most with your book is the advice that your grandfather told you that if you seek revenge you'll be digging two graves that is absolutely correct Cyrus you see if the eye for an eye concept today continues in this world allow me to assure you half the world will very soon be blind <laughs> so forgiveness is right. of prime importance because when you forgive you actually release your own self you have a grudge at the back of your mind you live with it you live under stress for the rest of your life so to de-stress your own self you forgive your adversary i do understand that it may not be very simple for many a human but if you practice this norm you will be a better human being i i forgive this gentleman this this driver whoever he was to release my own self i forgive him in the first 45 seconds of my being on the pavement after he disappeared into the darkness i just said okay buddy whoever you are wherever you are be happy and take care of yourself i've got nothing against you wow and that gave me a great uh, that that somehow uh, released a great burden from my shoulders and it was like somebody drained out a great amount of stress from me when i said that and just let him go oh how that is really very 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 interesting point of view sir now um i hate to wrap this up but i i want to talk to you more but what what's your final message to the readers to to the readers of your book and uh if you have some messages to you know um people who wanted to join your movement of feeding the hungry and uh you know um helping take care of animals as well you see cyrus if various governments of various nations would honestly and attentively listen to whatever i have to say 
it would seriously make a difference. But developing countries today, developing countries like my own, for example, Pakistan, the Philippines, Bangladesh, these countries today are primarily spending, ironically, 58 plus billion dollars towards the acquisition of arms and ammunition and strengthening their defense mechanism. Now my question is, uh, the Philippines is basically a very, very peace-loving country. It's a tourist resort. Now, Prime Minister President Duterte, in his reign, in his regime, what was the idea of spending this kind of wealth on accumulating arms? You are not going to war with anybody, Mr. President, and nobody's going to war with you. One quarter, just one quarter of this magnanimously, ridiculously obscene amount, one quarter, if you put it aside, not one single Filipino will go to bed hungry today, is what my statistical calculation is. But unfortunately, there is nobody there to listen to this story. The arms mafia is very, very powerful. And we all feel that, we all feel in our countries that uh, because there are elections and we vote for this president and that president, and that's why he's here and that's why he's there. But allow me to assure the common man today that that has long gone out of fashion. The man who would be king is not decided by your vote. He is decided by a handful of senators sitting in an air-conditioned office somewhere in Washington, a few drug lords, a few mafiaso guys from the arms dealers, arms manufacturers, the pharmaceutical company, seven to eight people sit over a cup of coffee in an air-conditioned office somewhere in Washington and decide on who would be the man in your country that would be king. So this is the ironic state of affairs. And if this could be controlled, life would be much better. And a look at the irony of the United Nations. Whenever there is conflict, the United Nations keeps quiet. The United Nations starts blowing its trumpet when the war is over. Then they come to you and say, we would like you to donate to the cause. <coughs> Excuse me. Cause of the Palestinians, cause of the Syrians. Jesus Christ, where were you when the war began? The conflict should not have begun in the first place. That is why the United Nations has been created. You are not a vacuum cleaner. We don't want you to come and distribute the spoils of war. We need to stop wars. The body of the United Nations is to make sure that there is no conflict and not just come after the conflict takes place. Indeed, that's right, it is sir. conflicts like these that, that deprive people of development. These nations do not develop. Pakistan, Philippines, Bangladesh, they have joblessness like nobody's business because there is no enterprise. There is no industry. Young men and women qualify from institutions, but at the end of the day, there are no available jobs to match their education level. 
And again, it's a vicious circle that brings you back towards poverty. All right. So there, there is no end to it unless governments wake up, listen to what I have to say, and do something about it. Yeah. Well, I can feel your, you, you know, your, 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 you, you really care for the poor and the hungry, sir. And uh, life is better with uh, people, you know, people like you would be able to really get started and work things out with uh, with your causes. See, Cyrus, it's not just that I care for the poor or don't care for the poor. I'm basically trying to fight the greatest pandemic on the planet today. And I need support for that. So I sincerely hope with this little podcast that you have given me the honor of uh, doing with you, it, this, this message spreads across to other struggles of life. It goes to people who can make the difference, goes to people who would like to join me in my crusade against this particular pandemic that has been there since time began. That is a very wonderful message. Well, thank you so much, Sir Pervez Tarapawala, sir. Very, very, very decent man, very forthright. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of good deeds that you've done and people that you've helped thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to to do the podcast with you sir i wish to extend this but uh i wish you, you you'll have more time in the future as well cyrus my friend it gives me great great honor to be part of this podcast of yours thank you ever so much for your valuable time and uh, in my wildest dreams, I'd never imagined that a professional like you would give me time to say a few words. Thank you ever so much. God bless you always, my friend, and take care. Thank you, sir. The, on, uh, the pleasure is mine, sir. The, to everyone who's listening, thank you so much for tuning in, and thank you for listening up, to, up until the end of this this podcast. I, I hope you've you've realized one a thing or two, you know, with uh, Pervez cause of helping the, the the hungry you know helping the, the welfare of the animals as well and you know the government to take action thank you so much everybody god bless